0: Father, thank you uh, for not only for the beautiful sunshine today, uh, but for uh, the best day of the week—a uh, day when we get to come and worship, a day when we uh, are told that you inhabit the praises of your people, and so as we particularly praise you today, uh, we believe that your word says you are particularly uh, drawing close to us, and that excites us and. Um, It fills us with joy. Just thank you for doing that. Uh, Tonight, I pray your spirit would be here. Lead us and guide us into all truth. Your word is truth. And I pray that you would apply it to each person as you see fit. And we ask for that, please, tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Some of the more uh, observant of you have noticed there is a stool, a crown, and a scepter. Up here. Now, if I didn't bring that up, some of you would just focus on that, and you wouldn't listen to what I have to say. We're going to talk about this, but not right now, so I'm going to put these back down now that I've told you what they are, okay? We're going to talk about that. But right now, we're going to talk about the timeline of the United Kingdom. As we start the Book of Kings, we've covered... Remember Samuel, we've talked about Samuel, the first king, he was the last judge and then here comes the first king, the first king was Saul and then here comes David and then the next king of the United Kingdom, not Great Britain, but the United Kingdom in Israel is Solomon. After this point it divides into Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms and we'll get to that. But Solomon right now is going to be our focus. We're at the end of David's life. Uh, And so we've gone, if you can remember all the way back to here, we've gone through Saul, the first king, David, the second king, and we looked at a lot of things in David's life. Uh, When he fought the Amalekites, when he was anointed, all these battles that he had when he captured Jerusalem, and then here in the end of his life, whether it's, right here or it's in here somewhere, here's the revolts of Absalom and Adonijah. And so you can kind of get a, a rough timeline for uh, these kings and what was going on in their lives. Uh, so we're going to talk about, we're going to start with First Kings tonight. Some of you know this because you're some of them edumacated people. I'm going to start reading, and then you're going to tell me what book this is from. Hint, it's not Respectable Sins. (laughs) You'll get this instantly. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity it was the season of light it was the season of darkness it was the spring of hope it was the winter of despair we had everything before us we had nothing before us we were all going direct to heaven we were all going direct the other way in short the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only the best of times and the worst of times the best of times and the worst of times right here behind us a tale of two cities Perhaps a tale of two kings. First kings, the word I've put on that is division. Uh, it's in the book of Kings that northern and southern, Israel and Judah, finally divide at the end of Solomon's life. The basics of the book of Kings, who wrote it? We don't know. Possibly Jeremiah. Interesting. Interesting. It seems to have been completed around 560 to 538 BC because there's a mention of one of the final kings being released, and that could only happen after that king got released. And so it seems to have taken on its final form, maybe as late as 538 BC. Where? We don't really know, Uh, probably in and around Jerusalem, but we don't know, why First and Second Kings reveal God's faithfulness to his word, his ultimate sovereignty over his own and all other people's, and his patience. These books also testify to the unbelief and disobedience of all people, even the beneficiaries of God's election and blessing. These books demonstrate what, that God has not cast off his disobedient people, Israel, whom he chose to enjoy a privileged relationship with himself. Some great themes in this book, sort of expand our view of God kind of a book. And so those are the basics. Let's dive in, 1 Kings 1.1 through 2.12, sort of a, an overview David has prepared the nation for Solomon and has collected everything for the temple's construction. If you remember that, David wanted to build the temple. Remember that? But God said, you're a man of war, you're a man of blood, and so I'm going to have the man of peace, Solomon, build me the temple. But David, you can certainly bring some stuff to build the temple if you'd like to. And so remember, David just brings... Tons and tons of stuff, I mean literally tons, for the temple's construction. So God allowed David to participate and and to give, but Solomon was going to build it. David, as we enter 1 Kings, is around 70 and will pass on within about six months Remember, there's a, there's a couple of passages here. You'll remember it when I say that David started reigning when he was about 30 and he reigned for 40 years. So, 30 plus 40. So, David is about 70. We're in kind of the, the twilight of David's life as we start into 1 Kings chapter 1. But right now, at age 70, there's a crisis in the kingdom. Because Adonijah, not Solomon, has made himself king. You know, this is not unheard of in the business world, right? Somebody who makes themselves king. Or I suppose these days, someone who makes herself queen. Uh, It also happens in the church. I know a story. It's from years and years ago. A fellow went to a church. There was a senior pastor there. This guy came in as the associate pastor. He was able to, he was very, this guy was very gifted. And he began talking to the senior pastor and encouraging him along his gifts. Meanwhile, saying, you know, and I could really fill in 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 a bunch of these ways. And the senior pastor said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So they did that. And after a few months, the guy said, you know, associate pastor doesn't seem to really be a a good title anymore. I'm thinking maybe uh, executive pastor. (laughs) It's not me. Thank you. (laughs) I see you looking at me. (laughs) And uh, the senior pastor said, hmm, well, that seems reasonable, you know, so... We'll make you the executive pastor. A few more months go along, and this fella continued and said, uh, "You know, uh, you're from the East Coast. Don't you miss the East Coast?" <laughs> you know, every once in a while I do. Thanks, thanks for, thanks for thinking of me. Well, you know, I'm I'm kind of thinking I'm not sure you're connecting with Texas folks very well. But you you know. I don't know, what what would it look like if you went to New Jersey? Finally gets this guy to agree he should leave and go back to New Jersey. And he says, well, since you're gone, I'll go ahead and make myself king. And that's what he did. And you want to know that it crashed and burned or something like that. You know, he got his comeuppance still alive and well and hopefully doing a great job where they are but this happens even in the church is adonijah not solomon makes himself king point it's not wise to make yourself king <laughs> It's not wise, whether that ever gets reconciled on this side or not, that's above my pay grade. (laughs) But it will be reconciled one day. If you remember nothing else tonight, remember this. It's not wise to make yourself king. David is dying. 1 Kings chapter 1. First four verses, King David was now very old. So he's about 70. It's about 970 BC. And no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. So his advisors told him, let us find a young virgin to wait on you and look after you, my Lord. She will lie in your arms and keep you warm. By the way, the men think this is a great idea. Interestingly enough, this is written about uh, from the Grecians, so remember Alexander the Great, so that we're talking about, about 300 BC, all the way through Josephus, so turn of the century, right, just after Jesus' day, about this is a uh, <laughs> um, common medicinal practice. So they searched throughout the land of Israel for a beautiful girl, and they found Abishag from Shunem and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful, and she looked after the king and took care of him. But the king had no sexual relations with her. What are they trying to find out? There's this motif running through the Old Testament about fertility. (laughs) Hee hee. Guess what? David's done. <laughs> David is done. And so the, whether the woman is really lying there to keep him warm or they're trying to figure out if the king has any interest in this kind of thing left for more sons, he doesn't. David is dying. He's really on his way out. So the king has no sexual relations with her. He's about 70, he's frail and vulnerable, his life is ebbing away, and so Abishag is brought in, a beautiful young virgin from Shunem. She seems to have been brought in for medicinal or nursing purposes, but she became David's concubine, basically. Now, what does that mean? It means that if you were part of the harem of a king, you had a right of inheritance. Now it might be a small percentage of the inheritance, but you would be cut in for a share if you were part of the harem. That might be important information for a f- another chapter. <laughs> She's part of the harem and therefore cut in for a part of the inheritance. It's proven to everyone that David is beyond help. He will not recover. Adonijah comes on the scene. About that time, David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers, and recruited fifty men to run in front of him. Huh. Sound like anybody else we know? <laughs> Sounds like Absalom. Oh yeah, that's his brother. Huh. How'd that work out for Absalom? Yeah, not so well. <laughs> now his father, yeah. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom, and he was very handsome. Uh, A young man, no discipline, no boundaries, makes himself king. He's handsome, he's undisciplined, he's spoiled, he's self serving, and selfishly ambitious. He can't even wait for his father to die before he seeks to grab the throne. David's frailty is Adonijah's opportunity. Perhaps he thinks he'll succeed where his half-brother failed because of David's weakness. Adonijah then declares himself king. Adonijah took Joab son of Zeruiah, and Abiathar, the priest, into his confidence, and they agreed to help him become king. Oh. <laughs> Goodness gracious. But Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shemai, Ray, and David's personal bodyguard refused to support Adonijah. Adonijah went to the stone of Zoheleth, which is something like um, the stone of the serpent. Uh. Near the spring of Enrogel, where he sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves. He invited all his brothers, the other sons of King David, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah the king's bodyguard, or his brother Solomon. So Adonijah has a plan. He's gone off to a place, he's invited all the royal officials. Why would he do that? Because David is dying, and Abishag can't do anything about it. So they've given David the best chance. He hasn't gotten it, and so he's gone. His inner court then begins to fracture, and Adonijah says, strike while the iron is hot. So Adonijah heads out of town and takes the royal officials and some sacrifices with him, He is son number four. He's the oldest living son of David. He declares himself king, rebelling against his father's earlier declaration. So 1 Chronicles 22, 9. 1 Chronicles 22, verse 9. This is what the Lord says to David. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace, I will give him peace with his enemies in all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So God has told David that Solomon is the heir to the throne. Does Adonijah know that? Yes, which is why he doesn't invite Solomon to the party. I'm having a party, all about me. Guess who's not coming? You. That's a lot funnier than than just what I got from you, but I'll, I'll let it go. It's a new year, you're still warming up. He takes what he wants or thinks he deserves. He has everything. Everything except God's appointment, anointing, and blessing. And by grabbing the throne, he creates a crisis in the kingdom. David hears about this. So uh, this is the long part, and I'll kind of summarize some stuff here. Uh, So Adonijah is off doing his deal. Then Nathan goes to Bathsheba. Solomon's mother and says, hey, uh, have you heard that Adonijah has made himself king and David doesn't even know about it? And she says, you know, if you want to live in Solomon too, you'd better go tell David. So he says, you go tell David and I'll come in right after you. So she goes in and she tells David, uh, you know, or she asks to see David and He says, what can I do for you? She replied, verse 17, my Lord, you made a vow before the Lord your God when you said to me, your son Solomon will surely be the next king and will sit on my throne. But instead, Adonijah has made himself king. And my Lord, the king doesn't even know about it. And so he's off sacrificing some things. And now all Israel is waiting for you to tell us who the king is. Verse 22, while while she's still speaking with the king, Nathan comes in. Uh, Nathan goes in and, and Bathsheba goes out, Nathan comes in, Nathan comes in and says the same thing to David that Bathsheba has just said, so he's confirming everything she said. Uh, they're feasting and drinking and shouting, long live King Adonijah, but he didn't invite me or Zadok, the priest, or Benaiah, your servants or your servant Solomon. Has my lord the king really done this without letting any of his officials know who should be the next king? King David responded, called Bathsheba. So she came back in and stood before the king. So now uh, the two of them are there. And the king repeated his vow, as surely as the Lord lives, who has rescued me from every danger. Okay, so from every danger. This is the danger. Your son Solomon will be the next king and will sit on my throne this very day, just as I vowed to you before the Lord, the God of Israel. Bathsheba is thankful. King David says, Call Zadok, Nathan, Benaiah when they, come, when they came. He says, Take him to Gihon Spring. Tell Solomon to ride my mule. There Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him king over Israel. Blow the ram's horn and shout. He will succeed me as king for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And Beniah, amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord, the king decree that it happen. And may the Lord be with Solomon as he's been with you, my Lord, the king. And may he make Solomon's reign even greater than yours. So they execute David's wishes. Verse 39, there Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with the oil. Then they sounded the ram's horn and all the people shouted, long live Solomon. <sighs> I mean, this is crazy. The celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. Adonijah and his guests. I mean, this is so loud. It's, the earth shakes. You're Adonijah. Woohoo! We're sacrificing and drinking. Yay to me, I'm the king. What's that noise we hear? Oh, this is, well, this is not good for Adonijah. Adonijah and his guests. Oh, God. Myself, oh, is such an exciting story. Nathan gets involved immediately, and through Bathsheba, prompts David to act. David reiterates God's will and word regarding his successor, who is Solomon. David charges his loyal men to carry out Solomon's formal coronation immediately, and Solomon becomes David's co-regent that day, meaning they're both king. It started that day. Okay, 41 to 53, yeah, okay. Adonijah and his guests heard the celebrating and shouting just as they were finishing their banquet. Joab is always the savvy one. When Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn, he asked, what's going on? Why is the city in such an uproar? While he's still speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar the priest, arrived. And they said, come in, you're a good man, you must have good news, Not at all. I mean, this is this is the perfect place. Ready? Here's Jonathan. This is not going to go well for you guys. Not at all. Our Lord, the King David, has just declared Solomon king. The king sent him down to the Gihon spring with Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Beniah son of Jehoiada, protected by the king's bodyguard. They had him right in on the king's own mule. And Zadok and Nathan have anointed him at Gihon Spring as the new king. They've just returned, and the whole city is celebrating and rejoicing. That's what all the noise is about. What's more, Solomon is now sitting on the royal throne as king. And all the royal officials have gone to King David and congratulated him, saying, May your God make Solomon's fame even greater than your own, and may Solomon's reign be even greater than yours. Then the king bowed his head in worship as he lay in his bed. And he said, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Who today has chosen a successor to sit on my throne while I'm still alive to see it? Ugh. David, I mean, even to the end. 49. Then all of Adonijah's guests jumped up in panic from the banquet, from the banquet table, and quickly scattered. Why? Treason. What do you do with traitors? Ugh. Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he rushed to the sacred tent and grabbed onto the horns of the altar. Probably we're talking about the brazen altar. Now, remember, the temple isn't built yet, so we've got the tabernacle. Still remember David had made a, you know, brought the tent and the stuff, and so he's probably grabbing onto the the horns of that big copper thing out front. Okay. Uh, grabbed on the horns. Word soon reached Solomon that Adonijah had seized the horns of the altar in fear and that he was pleading, Let King Solomon swear today that he will not kill me. Listen to this wisdom. Solomon replied, If he proves himself to be loyal, not a hair on his head will be touched. But if he makes trouble, he will die. So King Solomon summoned Adonijah, and they brought him down from the altar. He came and bowed respectfully before King Solomon, who dismissed him, saying, Go on home. Solomon, a worthy successor. Adonijah's scheme is exposed, and he and his co-conspirators are now guilty of treason. Rightly, Adonijah should die, but he runs to God's altar for asylum. Like David, Solomon is merciful, conditioned on the evidence of Adonijah's future loyalty to him as king. Solomon is now the king of Israel. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, One of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. And there is something else. You know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. Be kind to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shimai, son of Gera, the man from Bahurim and Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him. But that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. Then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David his father, And his kingdom was firmly established. David charges Solomon to pursue God first, to protect the kingdom second. And he gives him some final instructions. Take care of Joab for two unpunished murders. Be kind to Barzillai, who cared for David's needs. And take care of Shemai, a rebellious troublemaker so David dies, and Solomon secures the throne. Crazy story. The best of times and the worst of times. A tale of two kings. Adonijah took over when he heard of David's vulnerability and weakness. He took over when he suspected David was unwilling or unable to stop him. He saw the future he wanted or thought he deserved and took matters into his own hands to get it. But in making himself king, Adonijah only brought crisis and turmoil to the kingdom, not peace. Solomon was God's appointed and anointed king. He used his wisdom, authority, and power to bring peace. Let me reiterate what I opened with. It's not wise to make yourself king. This is not an unfamiliar drawing to you, I don't think. Now this is written in invisible ink. If you can't see it, we probably need to talk. See this part right here? Come on, really? I guess it's that bad. Oh well. What are you going to do? Pray for Laurie. It's not too bad, huh? Okay. My heart has a throne. Right? Will you allow me to call my heart a kingdom? This is again, this is the kingdom of Bill. And when I... Was wooed to the Lord Jesus and said yes to His finished work for me. What did I do? Okay, Jesus, and and where am I? I'm over here somewhere. Well, I don't know how to draw that. Huh. That's supposed to be me on my knees, okay, see, but I had to explain it to you, so kind of lost some of it. It does look like I'm sitting down, I'm gonna... yeah, that's pretty uncomfortable right there, <laughs> oh, yeah, the feet are too big, there we go, that's me kneeling, okay, uh, Jesus is on the throne and I'm no longer on the throne of the kingdom of my life. I agreed when I said yes to Jesus, as did you, that he was the rightful king over my heart, over my life, over everything about me, right? This is not a foreign concept to you, right? Our lives are a tale of two kings. When do we become like Adonijah and take over running our lives from Jesus the King? Who is the King of Peace? Jesus. Who is the appointed and anointed King? Jesus. What is my name? Adonijah. My name is Adonijah. When do I become Adonijah and take over running my life from the king? What do I do? Instead of, you don't like my pictures, so I brought an acting stool. And I said yes to Jesus, he became king. He didn't become king. I didn't make him king. He took over being king of my life. Right? But when do I become Adonijah? And I take this off his head, and I take this out of his hand, and I put it on my own head, and I again become the king of my life. I do it in times of vulnerability or weakness, in times of uncertainty and waiting, in times when it seems God is unwilling to do anything about my situation, in times when, I'll put my uh, personal pronoun in there, And times when I just want what I want because I want it now. Or through just plain, independent, self-reliant living. When do I become like Adonijah? Only these times and about 50 more. Do I realize that I am not the king of peace? And what do I end up doing? Bringing crisis and turmoil to the kingdom, the kingdom of my own heart. Because when I get on the throne, I'm Adonijah. And what did Adonijah do? He brought a crisis in the kingdom. And when I get back on the throne, guess what I bring to my own kingdom heart? Crisis and turmoil and no peace. Exactly the things I'm trying to uh, bring about on my own. I think those things will bring me peace and contentment and quiet and all those kinds of things. But instead, what do they bring? Turmoil. Lack of peace. No rest. Anxiety. Fear. You name it. We become like Adonijah in areas of vulnerability and weakness, Uh, particularly wrongs we've done and wrongs done to us. Uh, Some of us will forgive others, but we cannot or will not forgive ourselves. And we know the Lord says, that he forgives us, and we're grateful for that. But we haven't really, that hasn't sunk all the way in. Because he probably mostly has forgiven me, but he probably still wants to bring it back sometime, to dangle in front of my face, and to remind me of something I've done. That is not our God. It is the world, the flesh, or the devil. That is not God. Wrong's done to us. Some people say if wrong was done to them, and some people have had heinous sin committed against them. I don't mean to lack compassion in what I'm about to say. But they say, I will never let that happen to me again. And so in areas of vulnerability and weakness, I can tend to become Adonijah and sit back down in the throne and say, I am never gonna let that happen again in any way, shape or form. Not realizing perhaps what you've just done. Because where does Jesus go? There's only one throne. It only seats one. (laughs) You've had to move Jesus off. And the amazing thing about Jesus is, if you want that throne, he's just going to get up. You don't have to even push him off it. He just gets up. He says, Bill, do you really want to do this? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I do. (laughs) Okay. I'll stand right here and unless you change your mind. You know, you you might change your mind. I might. Go for it, Bill. In areas of vulnerability or weakness, we become like Adonijah and take over to protect ourselves. But in trying to gain peace, we only bring ourselves more unrest, sadness, or anger. Someone has said, and I'll tell you what, every person in here struggles with this in some form or fashion. This is not relegated to a certain few. Every one of us in some way or another has this. Someone has said, Unforgiveness is the acid that first destroys the bottle in which it resides. Only the greater Solomon the Lord Jesus can bring peace through forgiveness. What does he say in Ephesians 4.32? Forgive one another as you have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty tall order. So in a a place or an area where I'm vulnerable or weak and I try to protect myself I can become like Adonijah. How about in a place where I have an unfulfilled dream, desire, plan, or expectations for the future? Don't raise your hands. Anyone in here have unmet expectations about life? We become like Adonijah and take do you know what do you know what a midlife crisis is? right? you've heard about that. Yeah, that's what this is, but people get them I mean they can get them at 25, they can get them at 65. We become like Adonijah and take over to guide ourselves toward our destination, but we only bring ourselves more unrest and trouble and no contentment because we have unfulfilled dreams unmet expectations only the greater solomon can bring contentment and fulfillment is there someone you need to forgive tonight is there a dream a plan an expectation that you need to let go of tonight? I don't know what it is. We each have our own stuff. But in areas of weakness and vulnerability, we need to forgive. Forgive ourselves and forgive others. Unfulfilled dreams. You need to just let it go Let it go. Perhaps the Lord has something better for you. And he's waiting for you to lay down what you must have so that you're able to pick up what he wants to give you. We become like Adonijah when we just live independent lives. When, like Adonijah, we think we're fine without God's man on the throne. I don't need Solomon on the throne. (laughs) Who is he anyway? I'm older. Should have been me. Who needs Solomon on the throne? Who needs Jesus on the throne? Times of great discouragement are times to watch out for. times when we can go days without thinking of him without being in his word without fellowshipping with him through prayer without worshipping him perhaps the worst one of all when we're no longer even aware that we're wearing his crown it becomes so usual and customary for me to wear his crown that I just lose track of it. I become desensitized to it. You'll never have the life you want as long as you are wearing the crown. Where do you need to give up the crown tonight? Forgiveness, dreams, expectations, you fill in the blank. Where do you need to give up the crown? Lord, this is not what I expected life would look like at my age, fill in the blank. This is not what I wanted when I was 22 or whatever. Yeah, it's not been that way for any of us. No one, no one gets a free pass in this life. but you'll never have the life you want as long as you keep wearing the crown. Where do you need to give up the crown tonight? It's not wise to make yourself king. For next week, read 1 Kings 2 through 4, and we'll pick up on... um, Adonijah and Bathsheba. I've given you a big hint, though, what's at stake, because Abishag was at least cut in for part of the inheritance as a member of the harem. And so the stakes get raised when Adonijah goes to Bathsheba to ask for a small favor. Let me pray for us. Father, so many times every day, without even realizing it, um, I wander back over and sit on the throne. And I put the crown on my head, and I pick up the scepter, and I start leading my own life. Uh, it's just so natural for me to do that. Thank you for the way your Holy Spirit continues to work supernaturally, Within me, to remind me, to point out to me, to ask me from time to time, Bill, do you really want to get back on that throne? Or Bill, would you like to get up now? I'd be happy to take over again. And you're always so kind to me, Lord, so merciful and so gracious. Thank you for being such a great God with unfailing love and such magnanimous mercy. You are truly great and greatly to be praised. And tonight, as your people, we praise you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being our great God, for doing such an amazing work in us through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for him. And I'm especially grateful that his finished work means ongoing work in my life because I sure need it every day. So thank you for the change, the transformation you're bringing about. And each one of us, little by little, day after day, please continue to encourage us that you are at work and that there is progress being made by your spirit. We love you and we thank you for all these things. Pray for one another that this would be our best week yet. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.